Well, good afternoon, everybody. Darren Saul, your host of Playing With Perspective, the Suspended Animation Podcast. Hope everybody's doing fantastically well. Ready for the weekend. Episode 111 with the fabulous Carrie Sutton. How are you, Carrie? I'm well, Darren. How are you? I'm well. I'm looking forward to having a nice podcast before the end of the day. And uh, for everybody out there, it's going to be a very, very interesting, important and fascinating discussion today about raising resilient kids in tough times. So the nature of children's health is changing. There is now a new morbidity occurring with anxiety, depression, self-harm and suicide taking centre stage. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, over 560,000 Australian children and young people have mental health problems, and that was before COVID-19. So Carrie Sutton is an educator, speaker, and author who has helped over 25,000 children, parents, and educators with evidence-based strategies, tools, and approaches to foster children's positive mental health. She deconstructs the research so you don't have to, and provides practical, easy to use and tools and strategies that plant the seeds of resilience and emotional well-being in our children. She's launching her second book, Raising a Men Mentally Fit Generation, very, very soon. So Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Darren. Great to be here. Oh, thanks for coming on. And you know, as I mentioned, I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion. And I'd love to hear more about how you even got into this line of work in the first place. So maybe give us a little bit of a backstory. Interesting. Well, as you can see by the grey hair, uh, I have <laughs> been in teaching for a while now. So it's been over 28 years since I started my teaching career. And I guess uh, when I was growing up, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I started working with children who had uh, been abused, so had been suffered significant abuse and neglect, yep. and then moved into working with preschoolers. So it's been an early childhood focus a yep. lot, which is for early childhood, it's from birth all the way through to eight. Right. So I've been also worked as a director of a childcare centre and different things. Then I moved out west with the education department yep. and spent some time out in the country, which I absolutely loved came back to Brisbane and started working with children with diverse needs, whether that be young people who sat on the spectrum, um, who had an intellectual disability, trauma, just really looking at, so I'd seen what in inverted commas, normal looked like. Now I could understand what abnormal or aberrant behavior was yeah. and how I could best support those children. And that's what really caught my eye is that we, as a society need to start doing things in early childhood because we're actually waiting too late. Yeah, I would agree with that in many respects. There's so many things that we don't learn as kids that we should learn. Yes. And they're just, they're little things. And, and again, this is not about bagging parents. It's looking at what can we do as parents? What can we do as an education system? What can we do as a society yeah. to almost embed these habits of well-being into our children's lives? And it's, it's how society is developed. So is there more green space? What does yeah. that look like? All of those sorts of things come into this as well. Uh, but it really does impact on our children's well-being. Definitely. Wow. And so let's kind of take COVID away for a little bit because we'll discuss how COVID 
has affected mental health for the young mm-hmm. people. But if we even can't remove COVID, you know, what's going on in the last, you know, five, 10 years with mental health for children? What's, what have you seen? You what's at, the statistics? Sorry, if you look at the past 10, particularly 10 years and almost 15 to 20, there has been a significant increase. As you said, there's a new morbidity. Before there were other things that would take their toll. And yes, cancer is, so childhood cancer is still there. Accidents are still there. But what we are finding is that the mental health problems are taking a significant toll. And so in the past 10 years, up until 2017, 18, 19, there had been... three times the increase. So it had tripled. Referrals to psychologists, child psychiatrists of both boys and girls had tripled. Wow. The presentation to hospitals and emergency departments for these sorts of... So so it's not just anxiety and depression. It actually is moving into self-harm and suicide, Mm. unfortunately, or suicidal ideation. I've worked with young people who are as young as nine and eight, nine, and I've heard of young, as young as six years old who are actually saying, we don't want to live like this. Wow. And I mean, obviously there's, there's probably many reasons, but what are some of the reasons why this is happening? There's a whole wide variety of reasons. And I guess one of them, and I know that you would be aware of this as well, is that this, yeah. when we were at school, the bullying stayed at, stayed at home. So if we, when we came home, the bullying would stay at school. Now it actually comes inside our homes. Wow, yeah. So it comes in through computers. It comes in through smart devices. Yep. And there's a whole lot of other stuff. So we could actually shut the door when we came home so and that would shut the world out. Yep. Now the world comes in in a whole wide variety of ways. That's true. It's a 24-hour news cycle. One of the things I talk to families I work with and say, we need, and it's a Stephen Covey idea, but it's, uh, and the seven habits of highly effective people. But for children, we talk about the circle of influence, which is in the middle and the circle of concern, which is around the outside. So they're two two concentric circles. And often when children, when they're particularly anxious or they're worried, what they'll do is focus on their circle of concern. We People don't like me. Um, They they say mean things. Donald Trump is going to get into the White House again and that's going to be... And and I'm not saying that's my opinion, but some of our children are worried about these things. And with a 24-hour news cycle from around the world, there is so much more input coming at them. Right. There's also been a shift to a certain degree to parents wanting their children not to miss out. So, for example, and I'm being a school teacher, I'd realise this, everybody got a ribbon in a race. Yeah, got on eighth place trophies, as Gary V always says, eighth place trophies. That is not what happens in real life. And... Our children, it's really hard because if, you are in, if you're interested in the neurology and the neurobiology, we actually have something in the front prefrontal cortex. So up here with the controls, we have things called mirror neurons. Yep. And what that means is that when we see somebody, whether it be experiencing pain, eating a banana, we actually experience a tiny bit of that as well. And we feel that pain. We, if you imagine somebody or saw somebody eating a banana, you, it might start watering your mouth. The problem is our children are parts of our heart mm-hmm. walking around outside our body. Yep. So when we're seeing them in discomfort and when lots of parents see them in discomfort, 
they don't want them to be uncomfortable. So they'll scoop them up and protect them. And what that's actually doing, it's raising a generation of kids who are cotton wool from the really uncomfortable feelings. And yeah, that that has caused a huge amount of anxiety, a huge amount of a, a lack of emotional intelligence. How do I deal with disappointment? How do I deal with loneliness? How do I deal with things when they don't go my way or these difficult decisions? And what happens is kids then end up not being able to cope and turn into adults who are not able to cope. So true. And we're setting the youth up for disappointment in a way because we're not allowing them to develop the tools for themselves that they're going to need later on in life. Exactly. And that is something that I want to see happening earlier in like in early childhood. Now, three and four year olds, they can't moral reasoning isn't there moral reasoning and ethical, like what's good and bad. Research is showing that uh, with infants, so one and two years old, they can, if they're looking at a puppet, they can see that that puppet's being nasty to somebody and they'll actually favour a different puppet that's more kind. But they can't tell you what's good and bad. There's not a moral reasoning. But what we can do is actually start embedding some of these things, compassion, kindness, care, empathy. They can be taught. And exactly as you said just then, those are the tools that our kids are going to need for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. I mean, you can have all the best technology in the world. You can be the smartest person in the world. But if you can't interact properly with other human beings, you're not going to be that productive. No, because life is a team sport. It's not about one and being a circular island on our own. It's about getting on with other people. How do you communicate? How do you empathize? How do you connect? Yep, so true. And something you said before really hit home. I mean, nowadays the pace of the world is insane. The technology is with us 24-7. You know, we're access, we have access to things and a million apps and a million sites all at the same time, you know, from the drop of a hat with our iPhones or iPads or whatever. And I suppose in the old days, you know, as you say, we were shut off from all of that. So if we had an issue, we would come home to the dinner table We would sit down around the table and we would discuss things with our parents. Nowadays, number one, you're so bombarded. The kids are so bombarded by those messages. And when they, if they did want to come and sit down with their parents, the the parents don't have time either. So they're not getting any resolution or building those skills anywhere at school or at home. And that is one of the critical parts. When, when we talk about what can people do, it is a constant bombardment. Mm-hmm. So even before COVID, and COVID has just ramped up the cycle even more so, although it's been interesting when we've gone into lockdown and we can talk about that in a minute, yep. it's almost like we've stepped off the treadmill. But before we went into lockdown, it was just like we were these hamsters that kept on running and running and oh, running. Crazy. And the problem is... We will exhaust ourselves. Parents exhaust themselves. Children are exhausted. And frequently because what parents want to give their child the best of everything. So they'll take them to lots of after-school sports or lots of thing activities. And you see the kids that I work with sometimes, they're just, and it's like, you know, give them a break. Kids need time to be kids, to make mud pies, to actually sit and watch clouds go by because that's when the brain processes things. Mm -hmm. When we stop and sit still, 
that's when we process things. But because we're going at a constant pace all the time, and this is where the anxiety comes from of, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to get good grades. I've got to do well at piano and sports and all of these things. And they worry that if they don't do well, that their parents are going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit of a catch 22 now, because like a lot of the kids nowadays in my time, we would go out, play cricket, build tree houses, climb fences, whatever we did. Nowadays, the kids don't want to do that. They want to be on the iPads and on the iPhones. So how do they, how do we force them to switch off? Really interesting question because, and again, with COVID, we've had more screen time because we have been locked inside and there's been remote learning. You actually have to make a conscious choice as a parent or caregiver or family to say, you know what? Devices down. It's now time for dinner. We are not going to have devices at dinner or devices down. We're going for a walk or devices down. Actually, we're going to play a board game as a family. Beautiful. They are going to go out and see a movie as a family or do whatever. Conscious decisions that we make as parents and I've had to make, and you make them and you say, and oh, there's whinging and you know what? This is our time. This is a time to connect. And the younger that our kids are when we do that, the better because they get into the habitual way of thinking about that and they're not as reliant on their devices as they might be have been before. So true. And you know what? And the same applies to adults. We need to build that structure for ourselves. Mm. I need to learn to say, okay, Darren, enough. One hour, two hours, no phone. (laughs) Yeah, because it's crazy. It's out of control. Uh, Someone else that I had on the show a great psychologist um, a couple of weeks ago said, or a, couple of, a week ago said, we're working with an old brain and the old brain cannot function and keep maintain the lifestyle and the pace of today's world. So we have to learn how to switch off. And I listened to that podcast of yours and that was, that rang, rang home and hit home really hard. Yep. We, our brain has developed to a certain degree and it's not able to process what we're taking in. There is just so much information and there's so much coming at us. Our brain becomes overwhelmed and it's like there's a complexity of choice. If we have too much choice, you actually, it's a paradox. We shut down. So there is so much more that we need to do as parents and caregivers to take care of ourselves these days. And that is also a good role model for our kids. Definitely. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, the pace is only going to get more advanced, faster, more technology. If we don't learn how to take time out, what's going to happen? We don't have a choice. We're going to just explode. Fascinating. And so being a person that's come from the education sector as well, why don't they teach this at school? Or why don't they help guide kids in some way at school? Or do they? They're starting to do that and there's different curriculums that are coming in now, but it's never because of, and if you look at Australia, we compare ourselves a lot to overseas. So there'll be the reading, the writing, the science and things like that. And that is what gets the headlines. And what I'm trying to help educators and families and schools understand is that if you actually get a feeling of belonging and connectedness to school, kids will do just kids will do as well, if not better, because they actually want to be there. Nice. They feel like they're accepted, they're loved, they belong, they're included, and that their well-being is taken care of. And I'm not trying to put added extras on for teachers. 
what I'm sort of saying is we need to actually look at what do we do in a day and how can we add mindfulness to that day? How can we talk about what are their strengths? Nice. How can we talk about emotions or, or that it's almost, um, and again, it's not trying to add to what teachers have to do, but it's talking about emotional coaching. So in early childhood, if they came in from lunch and they have had a bit of a tiff in the playground or had a bit of a run in, okay. let's talk about that. Let's look at what happened and why it might've happened. And let's discuss the feelings. It's okay to be angry. Absolutely. Okay. To be angry that somebody took your shovel or that somebody was playing, but it's not okay to bop them in the nose. Yeah, that's right. So how do we, because emotions are data. That is what our emotions are. They are pure data. They're telling us what's going, they're telling us how we feel about what's going on around us. And we need to be able to use that data. But first off for our children, we need to actually help them name it. I don't know if you've heard of Dan Siegel. He wrote a book, The Whole yes. whole Brain. Yeah. Yeah. I love Dan Siegel's work. And we talk about naming it to tame it. Mm-hmm. Until a child can actually say, I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling disappointed, I'm feeling sad, yep. they find it really hard to regulate their emotions. So I guess one of the first things I try and work with educators and families on is, okay, we talk to kids, what's going on in their body? What does it feel like? And what is that feeling? Because in, in Western culture, particularly, we have a really limited emotional vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So have true. you seen the movie Inside Out? Uh, I don't it's know. It's a Pixar think... movie where there's joy, sadness, disappointment, no. dis- uh, joy, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. No. So there's five basic emotions. And generally that's our five that we talk to children about all that we even talk about. But there are so many more emotions that there there's content, there's ease, there's grace, there's gratitude, there's appreciation, all of these things. So true. But, and, or there might be anger, but then there's rage. So it's, it's all degrees. And when we have a more nuanced discussion around emotions and our children have that, they can then understand it's not as bad as if they just go to angry all the time, then they're going to have trouble regulating that. They don't understand, you know what? It's not as bad. And often I say we have a thermometer of how bad is it? Yeah on a one to 10 scale or even on a, like a fire, um, a yeah, fire, yeah, fire rating scale. scale, where does it fall? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, and in children's lives, and this is what I also say to parents, please understand that the little things in kids' lives are big things for them. Definitely. definitely. And we need to understand and take the time to empathize, to listen, to help them feel heard and validated. Because ultimately when we do that, when they're little, and when we make a habit of doing that as they grow up through that early childhood stage, eight, nine, 10, tween, and then into the teen years, they'll actually come back and do that because that's a habitual behavior that they've actually come to us. We've listened, we've understood, we've not judged. Yeah. And that's really critical because we don't want them going into teenage years and feeling that they can't come and talk to us. And it sounds like, you know, you're, what we're talking about is we're teaching kids self-awareness as well you know for them to know that i don't feel angry now i just feel frustrated you know 
it's not that bad. We'll, we'll be okay. We'll get through it. Exactly. And Darren, like you just said, it's emotion, it's around the emotional intelligence. So self-awareness and self-regulation, then looking at others, awareness of others and how to manage their relationships, but particularly the first two self-awareness and self-regulation or self-management and exactly what you said there, which is, I will be able to get through this frustration. And even at first, if we have to sit with them and scaffold that, because it's hard as a parent, it hurts your heart when they fall out with friends, when they come like, like when you see the hot tears of disappointment Mm -hmm. or things like you just want to take them and make it better. But what we actually need to do is sit with them and say, you know, it is really hard. Yep. This is not, it's not a nice feeling. Yep. And, and in life, you know, this might happen again in life. So this is what yep. you have to do to be ready for that. Well, this is how Absolutely. You, because how you we're, we're holding them in that safety net, in our safety net, whether it be in our home or when we're with them, we've got them in that safety net at that time. Mm-hmm. And we can scaffold how to get through it because we can say, you know, I missed out on a job. Like I missed out on things too when I was growing up or I even, I missed out on a job the other day. It makes me feel really disappointed too. Sometimes I have a hot bath or, or yep. you get, help them understand the strategies we use as adults. Run and just, not drinking, of course, yeah. or different things, but there's a lot of things that are age appropriate things. But really looking and saying, this is what I do and we, you will get through it. Because, you know, Darren, research from the States that came out in 2018, freshmen that had gone to Harvard had been interviewed. Now, Harvard, really hard school to get into. And they said, now that you're here and you've been here for three to six months, is there anything you could have done to prepare yourself more? And they said, you know, our parents did everything for us. They got us here. They paid for it. It's fantastic. But we really would have liked them to have taught us how to deal with disappointment. Wow. How to deal with loneliness, Fantastic. How, what to do if we feel depressed because yep. we've got all these feelings. We're away from home. They're not there and we don't know what to do. Yeah. And that research really struck home to me because what it's saying is we haven't prepared our kids for life. So true. Yep. Unbelievable. And I mean, I, I work as a photographer, so I had the privilege of traveling around Australia, photographing a dance competition. And in that competition, every single person got something. Every single person won something. And that's a problem because you're teaching the kids that whatever you do, you know, it's okay. You just got to be part of it. And you're going you're to walk away with a trophy or a ribbon or a certificate, but you're not preparing them for the fact that in life, you don't always win. No. And life is not that. That's one of the things I guess that I really wanted to get through to people when I started working with them. We can't keep mollycoddling our children. We can't keep uh, having that everybody in past the parcel gets a prize. Yeah. Because when they go for a job at Macca's, they may not get that job. That's right. And particularly, and I guess this is particularly important with what's going to happen after COVID, and we can talk about that in a minute, yeah. but there's going to be some big financial hurdles that the country is, is going to have to get over. And there may not be as many jobs around. So it may not be as easy for young people to get work. Yeah, yeah. And what does that mean for their, it's like, you don't want me. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to hire me. Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm the best person I'm for the, the job. And Why not? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and their self-esteem takes a hit. And then you see them crumble because they don't have that resiliency. Right. So what we're doing by 
rewarding them too easily were stunting their growth emotionally and mentally as well. That's mm. the problem because people have to learn, all right, I didn't win this time. I, I really want to do this. What can I do to make, what can I do in terms of training or practice to make sure I win next time? If we don't do that, we're not preparing people to do anything. No. And what I try and say to families, particularly, uh, I don't know if you know Carol Dweck's work, but they talk a growth mindset. And what she talks about is a first attempt in learning. That's what fail is. So failure, you're not failing. It's just your first attempt in learning. You look at Einstein, you look at inventors around the world. Alexander Bell, whatever. You actually have to, and we need to encourage our kids to go, you know what? And, and that's what I also work with schools on. It's not about just having one right answer. There can actually be a variety of answers. Now, not, I'm, I'm not saying that there's, you, if you're going for something that's got to be correct, absolutely. But the way you get there can be different. And you need to look at that and go, okay, this child's strength is this. How did they bring that to the table? What does that mean for them? And how can we then look at that stretching and scaffolding them so that they know, you know what? I put a lot of effort in and I can do better next time. Love it, love it. And, this is, and I want to do better and I want to put in effort yes. to make sure that I achieve. And then it's more rewarding when they do. Because yes. they have done the work. If it's too easy. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy then. That's right. Yeah, so true. And so now let's bring COVID into the equation. What has that done to mental health? And, you know, what are you seeing now? It's, I think, and if you look at Professor Ian Hickey's work, you look at what Beyond Blue is saying, I think there's going to be a fourth wave. The fourth wave is going to be mental health. Right. Uh, So I really firmly believe we're going to have to learn how to live with COVID. This is not going away. And we cannot keep locking people down like we have. I understand that for health reasons, and I do, but this can't go on forever. And what it's done, children, if there's been a research study done, and they were saying that 58% of children have been impacted by missing their friends. And when you do distance learning, I'm looking at a camera now and I love talking to people when it, whether it's on zoom or things like that. But the problem is we are a social, we're social beings. We are a social race. We want to connect and we have desperate need to connect. So when we can't, and particularly children, if they can't connect with their friends other than through a camera and seeing them on a screen Mm -hmm. and go, Oh, where are you and looking for everybody because we know what it's like as adults with zoom fatigue can you imagine 30 children in a class or how they're doing they would be finding that very difficult so 58 percent of them had been impacted by missing their friends and then when you look at it it came back actually no it's 77 percent 58 percent had been so 77 percent missing their friends 58 percent had been to a change in routine wow we are all creatures of habit and when children's routines change that's when they start becoming more fretful so one in five children at least one in five has suffered more anxiety more worry and more depression during this period of time with covid so that's on top of what we were seeing before one in five one in five 20 percent increase yeah wow 
Incredible. And that, that for me is concerning. And it's even more concerning because now if parents are trying to access uh, mental health services, there are now six month waiting periods for child psychiatrists and child psychologists in a lot of places throughout Australia. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. And as well, I suppose if you add to the fact that the way that they conduct those therapies are through zoom, it makes it even harder. And, and that is, talk to you. Yep. And that's the one thing is that children find that difficult because often for young children or for anywhere up to eight or nine, sometimes play therapy works really well because they'll get it out and do, but you can't have a, like, it, that's really hard when you're talking to a camera and it's almost impossible. So it's looking and saying, now that is, that's one section, but a study that's just come, it was released this week from the Children's Hospital in Brisbane. They, it's only 700 families that participated. So it's not a large sample yet, but they were looking and saying that 80% of those children, yes, they'd experienced some a discomfort and some disruption, yeah. but 80% of them are showing that they have positive mental health and that it's going on okay. So some children are faring okay. And that's going to be the other thing because in the percentage that's around that, at least 11% of children are really struggling because there's been financial hardship in families. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And what worries me so much is that right at the moment, that hasn't even started in Australia. That's true because we still so we have had. Yep, we've had some job losses, but with JobKeeper and the other things that they've had, I think twenty twenty one is going to bring significant hardship. And when wow. when there's and and you know as an adult, if there's tension in your relationship about money, it's really uncomfortable like that and the weight on your, and it really can be a physical weight or a psychological weight that feels like a physical weight on your shoulders. Yeah. And what happens is our children absorb that. They are little energy bunnies. And I know it sounds a bit crazy, but what's going on at home will be picked up by them. So the tension, we often say emotions are contagious. And this was um, looked at in 2001 and 2002. And just like a common cold, and we shouldn't be talking like COVID, but <laughs> just like a common cold, if you work with somebody, so if you, for example, if you had somebody coming into your office every day that was a bit grumpy and grouchy, yeah, you would most probably pick that mood up. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd fight them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and kids do that as well. So if there is more stress at home, more tension, or for example, at the moment, I'm working with families where FIFO workers are actually locked and I don't mean to say this, but locked in WA, they can't get out. And so mum is dealing with everything at home or dad, whichever one, who's not the FIFO. And what's going on is their stress level is rising. So that stress level of the family rises as well. Yeah. And it, I'm not laying this at all, all at the feet of parents. I'm just saying as a society, we need to be aware that these things are going to impact. And what that means for our kids is that, when they go to school, there could be more issues for them. They might be coming from a family that hasn't got the resources for extra food or excursions or books or things like that. We're going to have to be really cognizant of that in 2021. Yeah, wow. And, you know, it makes sense. That obviously, what you're saying is that the whole family has to have more awareness and self-awareness, awareness of self and others, to make sure that they build the environment that is conducive to the right emotional um, 
facilities and their right emotional yeah. states. Uh, so Absolutely. And that means to a certain degree, Darren, and I often talk to families about this. It is very much like when you get on an airplane, not that any of us have lately, but when you get on an airplane, they talk to you about putting your oxygen mask on first. Yeah, yeah. One of the most critical things we can do as parents yeah. is actually take care of our own well-being first. So true. Love. Not that we neglect our family or neglect our kids, but unless we have something to give, yep. unless we're actually taking care of that, we're going to burn out much more quickly. This has been a year that's like this. And I think 2020, so 2021 is going to be very, not hopefully cross fingers, not as bad with lockdowns, mm. but there are going to be bumps along the way. And we really have to take that self-care seriously because if we're not caring for ourselves, we can't be good role models for our kids. That's right. And if we don't have the energy levels to be able to handle certain things, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll snap, we'll react yep. in the wrong way. And that just has a ricochet effect on everything else. Yeah. So true. Wow. So, I mean, you've kind of touched on that to a degree, but what else should we be doing? What can parents and kids do and families do to make sure they're better equipped in general for mental stability and, and the for, for mental positive mental health. There are lots of things we can do. And again, it's not, um, that's, and I guess that's, and I'm not trying to plug it at all, but that's what I've written raising a mentally fit generation for, because it gives people practical, easy, every to everyday strategies that you can do. It's, I don't want to put or pile more things on parents. These are things that if you sit, so for example, uh, it might be that sitting down at dinner at night, the rule is that this okay. is no longer available. Like you're not having things at the table or you don't answer calls or even, and I know you'd be aware of Michael Carr, Greg, and your audience would be as well. And it was interesting about oh, five to eight years ago, I said to Michael, look, I've seen this rise in children I'm working with about social media and different things. And he said, you know, Carrie, I'm the worst person in my son's lives at the moment. I said, what? What's going on? And he said, I've taken the rule. And he said, it is a rule in our house. All of us do it. My wife, myself, my sons, yep. we put these on the table at dinner time, but like on a table and we don't pick them up. He said, we then pick them up. We can use them or do it until 8.30. He said, then at 8.30, they go back on that table, they charge, and they do not get them overnight. Wow. And I said, wow, okay. He, <laughs> he said at first they were really railing against it. You're the worst. But he said, what I'm actually doing is giving them an out. Yep. This, for our teenagers particularly, wakes them up in the middle of the night if they've got it in their rooms. Yeah, it's horrible. It pings all the time. Just like if we have it in our rooms and our emails ping or and our brains are actually sub, yep. like subconsciously programmed, switch, switch yep. on, that's pinged. Yep. What we need to do, and he said it was really easy for me to do because they could then blame me. Yeah. So they could say, yeah, dad's a bit of a horror. I can't, I can't yeah. use my phone at night, which yep. gave them better sleep and all those sorts of things. So yep. it's just the little things we can do to put into place. It might be sitting down at dinner and going around the table and talking about, hey, what didn't go so well today? What did go well? Yep. And talking about those, it's looking for our kids' strengths. It's actually getting out and going possibly for a walk with your kids and taking the time. So not rushing through it and going, come on, let's go, let's go. Yeah. It's being actually... Presence, being present. Yeah. 
It is about being present because to be really honest, what's happened with COVID, it's been really interesting. And when we were coming out of COVID, people were saying, you know, I actually don't want to come out of COVID, come out of isolation. I really like the fact that I don't have to be on the treadmill all the time. I don't have to be go, 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 go. We didn't have to take the kids to sport on the weekends. We're spending much many times as well. Yep. Yep. And that's the sort of thing. And really, and I guess what I've been saying to the families I work with, really evaluate what you're letting back into your bubble Mm -hmm. and go, is this making our life better? Do we want to do this? Is it beneficial for us as a family to do this? What is the impact? And just really being much more circumspect about what they allow in. Because we can allow so much in. As we said at the beginning, there's so much that just comes at us and comes at us and comes at us. And the world will continue to be that. We actually have to start setting boundaries around that. And so it's so important to challenge our own thinking in terms of saying when things get back to normal, but maybe normal wasn't really good. Maybe we should have a new normal where we don't let some of those things back in. And that, that's interesting. I know you'd know Brene Brown's work. Brene Brown said it was broken. Yeah. What we had before was actually broken. Yep. We can create something different now and we have that choice. So what are we actively choosing to let back into our lives? Love that. Because Love that. that choice is key in understanding and particularly because if we have little people at home, we are choosing for them to be informed by that as well because they'll watch us get back on the treadmill and run, 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 run and think that that's what life is supposed to look like. Beautiful. Life's not supposed to look like that all the time. No, it's, it's out of control. Yeah. Life is about making that connection, looking in people's eyes, really being there with them, yep. and understanding that this present point in time, there we are only promised tomorrow. Tomorrow may not come. Mm-hmm. It is what we do with the now. Absolutely. And it's those things that it's stopping and taking that breath. It's teaching them because a lot of the schools I go to say, oh, we're doing mindfulness now. I said, that's really important because we're not taught how to belly breathe. We're not taught how to breathe. And frequently the majority of society breathes at the upper chest yep, yep, yep. and what that signals to our for, to our brain what that signaling is stress yep. anxiety mm-hmm. that's a physiological sign and because i don't know and you can see it here i've made a triangle i often work with my tweens and teens and the families and i say to calm down we do triangle breathing mm-hmm. which is you breathe in for three or four you hold for three or four, and then you breathe out for three or four. And what that's doing is actually calming our breathing and we deep belly breathe when we do it. And that's actually saying to our brain, it's okay because our brain goes, oh, you're breathing in that way. Your body can't be stressed. You can't be scared. You, right. You're not. And so it's, it's telling from what our body's doing that we are not in fight or flight anymore. It calms our nervous system. Absolutely calms our nervous system. Yep. And that's one of the only physiological ways we can do it. Because yep. seriously, and this is part of the problem, 
often kids go, oh, but I've got all these thoughts running through my head and they're like, and they can't calm their nervous system because there's so much going on up here. So that's why I said we actually have to give them something else to do that physically signals a calming to, of their nervous system. Wow. Incredible stuff. And so Carrie, how do you, how do you work? Do you work with the education system? Do you work with parents, with families, with kids? How do you actually work? How do I work? I work with a lot of, so I work with a lot of different families in a lot of different ways, but one of them I, um, and next year we're looking cross fingers that I can go to re, uh, regional, rural and remote because yeah. my, I was really, I loved living in the country yep. and I know that our country kids have been doing it tough. So in 2012, before all of the COVID, before the bushfires, there were significant droughts right. and they've taken a beating. So they went through drought. They then went through the bushfires last year, then floods and now COVID. And what I'm looking and saying is going out and helping families and talking in town hall style. So I do public speaking. So I run workshops that way. I also have consultancy that I do with, with families. I've got webinars and online programs. So there's a whole wide variety of things I do, but mainly it's talking about emotional intelligence and how we can create resilient kids because ultimately we talk about and we teach our kids how to keep them physically fit. And I'm not sure if you remember uh, about four years ago, Pauline Carrington, she comes from the Upper Hunter, her son who was 21, he unfortunately suicided. And she said, you know, Carrie, the when I saw him before that, here he was lathering on sunscreen, putting on the hat, doing everything he could to take care of himself physically. Mm but he didn't know to, how to take care of his mental health and well-being. Shame. And that to me was heartbreaking. And I realized we teach our kids skills to keep physically fit. Yep. We don't teach our kids skills to keep mentally fit, whether it is the mindfulness and being present and going, you know what, my, my thoughts are running. How can I slow them down? How can I be more present? Whether it is about gratitude, because being grateful, when you are grateful, it brings on positive emotions and you can't actually be anxious and grateful at the same time. No, so true, so true. It's an impossibility. So how can we actually teach our kids to have that attitude of gratitude? So how can we give them a more optimistic outlook? Because one of the, and that's when I talk about the circle of influence and the circle of concern. Yeah. When they focus on the circle of influence, which is what we did with a lot of the families and the kids I was working with at the beginning of COVID, they had the circle of influence. What can you do? Because that empowers kids. What could they do to protect grandma and grandpa? Well, we, don't, we won't go visit them. So that's something we're doing. We're coughing into our elbow. That's another thing they're doing. We're washing our hands. Our hands as soon as we walk in the door, whatever. Yep. That's in their circle of influence. So it empowered them. They did it because there was so much coming at them about this horrible disease and what was going to happen. If they'd only focused on the circle of concern, that's when the anxiety, worry, stress, and it would have gone through the roof. So I said to families, empower them. Don't not talk about it. You've got to talk about difficult things. And at times there might be pets that die or family members. We need to talk about that and allow them to feel the feelings and to express those feelings. So all of these things come into, and I look at it and talk about mental fitness, things we can do every day, habitual patterns of yep. behavior, even if they're just little things of saying, oh, wow, 
I'm grateful for this before bed, or you're reading a story and you say, what worked well today? Mm. It's those sorts of things where I talk to families and say, look for these things and try one thing. And the thing I guess, Darren, if I wanted to leave people with, there are some things we can do that take care of our own well-being and our children's well-being at the same time. And that's where we need to start because okay. ultimately we are the adults that will lead the way for our kids. What would be a good example of that, of something that we can do? Something we can do and not being consistently on this all the time. That's one thing. Um, another thing would be really being present. present yeah. So whether it be with your partner, your significant other, and with your kids, yep. when you're there, so a friend of mine makes sure that they, the child sees, you know what, this is going down. It's your time. So they say, putting the phone Love away. That. It's so true. And you know, it's like when you're with someone, you know, people just want to take the phone call and say, can you hold on a second? But rather than saying, I'll get that later. Yep. And that's well, that is the now. key. Yeah. Because when you do that, it's like, and I say this to family members, you know what it feels like when somebody starts looking at their watch. Yep. You don't feel very valued. No. <laughs> you actually know that their head is not there anymore. So when we're on our phone or when we're talking to somebody else, when we're with our children, that child doesn't feel valued. So stop what you're doing. And as I said before, I know it's not easy and we're juggling a lot and I've had different things where you juggle a thousand and one things sure. and I don't always get it right. To please don't feel I'm the expert and get everything right yeah. in the book. As I said to people, you will see a thousand and one things I got wrong. <laughs> and, but I also know I was doing the best I could at the time. Yeah, so true. And good enough really is good enough most of the time. Baked beans on toast is fine because the majority of parents I work with are trying the best they can with what they've got. So many people in the world that don't have baked beans, that don't have toast. So baked That's, beans oh, toast absolutely. And, and you look at that and you realise and say to kids, you know, we have running water. We, we have the ability to get out. We haven't, when you look at COVID, yes, in Victoria, it's been incredibly hard, but at least we've actually got a country that's taking this seriously. Yep. And so I guess when I say to families, pick one thing, don't try and do everything all at once. Just pick one little thing that you want to start. And again, 21 to 30 to 36 days, that's when a habit becomes ingrained. If you can do that for that period of time, whatever it is that increases your well-being as well as their own, even if it's, and I don't have my bottle on me, um, uh, it's a shaking bottle where um, what it does, you fill a soda bottle or a drink bottle with uh, some water, some glitter and some glycerine. Yep. And what you do, put the top on it, you actually make it. And so sometimes you can show your kids, this is what your brain is like sometimes when you've got th so many thoughts running around. <laughs> and I know what my brain feels like. Sometimes mummy's brain feels like that as well. So if you see my brain like that, we can shake, we can sit this bottle there and when we sit and watch it and are just still, oh, that's what happens to our thoughts. I've seen, I worked with a school on this and I was working with a bunch of preschoolers, so three and four years old. And I was wondering if it would work, but we talked about it, we showed them, we helped them make these bottles. One day I went to the classroom and the teacher came in and was very frazzled. And the little girl ran over, got the bottle and said, Miss, Miss, your head looks like this, you need to <laughs> 
Fantastic. Absolutely. Because we sometimes don't think that our children, or we think that our children are too young to pick no. this up. Pick Let up? me tell you, from birth, our children are picking things up that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I see. So whatever we can do, take that one thing and try and implement it and make it a habit and then try the next thing. Yeah. Because when you're caring for yourself as a parent or as a caregiver, you are also giving back to your child because you are their most important role model. And that's what they will take with them into life. Because if, as you'd know, Darren, when we get stressed in life, we frequently revert back to what we know most of all and what we experienced in early childhood. Yep. We, that's our default position, our, our, our subconscious position. Yep. And that's what we revert to. And so that's why having those important habits embedded then means that hopefully that's what they'll revert to when they're older as well. I love it. That's fantastic, Carrie. Really fascinating stuff. So if people want to get in touch with you and your book, you know, find out more about your book, book. the best way uh, to do it. Yep. So carriesutton.com is the best place to go. And uh, the book's website isn't just, isn't up. It's getting up this weekend. So we're okay. starting to launch it this weekend, but carriesutton.com and you can find out more there. Ah, love it. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a really interesting topic, an important topic, and you've given everybody so much value and so many steps um, into what they can actually start doing and how they can start thinking about building better resilience for themselves and for their kids, really. Um, so really appreciate you coming on the show. I've learned so much. Is there anything that you want to leave us with at the end of the day? No, honestly, thank you, because it's, it really is. It's just about raising people's awareness. And they are doing everybody, parents, the majority of parents, 99.9%, .9 are trying the hardest they can and they're doing the best with what they've got. And it's just getting a little bit of information here or there that can help them on their way. And that's what I try and be, that information in an easy to understand way, not filled with jargon, but something they can walk away with and go, hey, you know what? I can try that this afternoon. Beautiful. And you know what? You've just kind of, it's a beautiful way to finish off by saying, you know, even the parents that are doing their best and sometimes they don't get it right, don't beat yourself up. No. You've done your best you can. Try and do better next time. Learn, seek out some advice. You can only do what you can do, but don't beat yourself up about it. Just move on and just get better and grow. That's all you can ever do. Absolutely. Because, do you know, when exactly what you said, when we are doing that, if we berate ourselves, we're not teaching our children self-compassion either. And that's one of the critical things is that when we, they will watch how we respond if we make mistakes or if we do figure out things haven't gone well. So please don't beat yourselves up. You are doing the best. You, if you can learn more, that's fantastic. And then you implement it and you just go from there. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey and we're all learning constantly. And that's the key to life. So that's what we should be doing. And that's what we should be teaching our children as well. Well done, Carrie. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everybody out there, please get in touch with Carrie. Check out her new book because you'll learn a hell of a lot. And we'll be back very, very soon for another episode of the podcast next week. And bye for now. Thanks again, Carrie. Thanks, Darren.